Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to, to begin reading at uh, verse 16. This is what it says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's that beautiful verse I was telling you about that that talks about this great exchange between Christ and us. God made him, that is Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, we live in a world that's a little disturbing at times, where things do sometimes appear to be falling apart. Uh, Take this, for example. Only in America... Can you get uh, a pizza to your house before an ambulance? I mean, think about it. That's, that's a little sad. You can get a pizza to your house before an ambulance. Um, in America, you find handicapped parking spaces in front of an ice skating rink. I don't know about you, but I find that a little amusing. In America, you go into the drugstore. The sick have to walk all the way to the back. Those who want to buy cigarettes... They can get them right at the front. You see, we live in a world that sometimes doesn't seem to have its priorities straight. And, and we, we live in a world where even in our own lives, we look and we go, wow, right now, things just don't seem to be exactly right. Um, and of course... The big thing for us to recognize is that if we're going to put things right, if things are going to be made right, if we're going to fix things in our lives, that really means two things, doesn't it? And this is what we want to dig into today as we we ask ourselves this very critical question. If my life is not doing well, if even there's a segment of my life that feels like it's falling apart, how do I get my life put back together again? We're going to talk about two things. One is change. Our lives are not going to come back together unless we're willing to change some things. And in fact, also for us to be able to change, here's the second part, we have to be willing to learn. So those are the two questions I'm going to put directly to you this morning. How do you feel about change? I really believe this, wherever there's an unwillingness to change or an ignorance about how true deep change comes about, change will not occur and our lives will not be pulled back together again. I think those are two critical points for us to know. And of course, there's always this problem. The problem of not seeing the need for the change to take place in me first, but seeing the need for the change to take place in somebody else. It's sort of, sort of like the country boy, you know, who comes to the city for the very first time. He's never been in the city before. He's, uh, he's only seen what country life has to offer. And he brings his, his young boy 
with him and his wife, and uh, they go to the mall. First time ever in this big city mall. And uh, as they go into the mall, mom goes off wandering on her own. And the, the man, the countryman and his son, all of a sudden they see these two silver doors sliding back and forth, back and forth. And inside is a, a little black box. And, um, and so they're staring at this, and they watch the silver doors slide close and open again, and the little lights blinking on and off above it. And to their shock and amazement, this very elderly lady in a, in a um, wheelchair gets into this black box with the shiny doors that are opening and closing constantly. And, for, and a few moments later, out walks a beautiful 24-year-old young lady. And the country dad says, go find mom right away. We think the changes always have to happen in the other person that we're in a relationship with. And as long as that occurs, we're not going to be able to make those changes. So those are the things that we want to talk about this morning, change and learning, and how do I pull my life back together again. So let's dig into... Uh, some things that I think really prevent us from making those changes in our lives. And it really comes down to those two things we've already talked about. No one can put a life to get back together again if there's an unwillingness on our part to look at changes in our lives or if there's an ignorance about how change takes place. Before I dive in too deep, I want you to notice something in your crosswalk notes. Take this. Right at the bottom of the, of the page, I put Crosswalk's mission statement in there. And the reason I did this is, I think you're going to see some key thoughts right here in our church's mission statement. Crosswalk is committed to teaching the Bible's words and promises so that the Holy Spirit will transform people into fully developed followers of Christ who will connect with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior grow into a mature reliance on God, build meaningful relationships with fellow Christ followers, develop fully their talents and abilities to serve God, honor God completely with their whole lives, and share the way of eternal life with others. Here's the, here's the thing that I think creates the mystery about change and learning. Can we change? Is it even possible for a person to change. You've probably heard the old saying, a leopard can't change his spots. You've probably even said, ah, that's just the way I am. Or my friend is hardwired that way. Don't expect him to change. And yet maybe you've also heard the flip side of that, right? The, the side that says, well, I read this fantastic book and it changed my life. Or the side that says, we've been together a long time and I've changed. And you haven't. And we've grown apart because I've changed. So which is it? What is our true deep belief about change? Can a person change at a deep level? And that's the mystery that we want to delve into. I read this mission statement to you to sort of foreshadow the answer. Because I want you to take a pen, the one that's sitting on your, on your uh, seat. And I want you to circle the word transform. Because transform is another word for change. And what we believe at Crosswalk is that change is absolutely possible. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit working in the Word of God. Notice, we're committed at this church to teaching the Bible's words and promises so that the Holy Spirit will transform people. The Spirit will change people with the goal that all of us become fully developed followers of Christ. So how does that happen? Well, the biggest thing for us to remember is this is the, the biggest obstacle to change is our mental attitude toward change. It's really right up here. And we talked last week about how sin has separated us from God. It's very much separated our minds, sin has, from the way God's mind thinks. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And as long as our minds and our thoughts are not tracking with God's mind and God's thoughts, we're going to feel a need to have change, a change that, as we just read from the mission statement, can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit working with the Word and the sacraments. And that's exactly what Paul says here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But what are some of the thoughts, some of the worldviews, we might even call them some of the myths that people believe that you and I sometimes believe that prevent us from changing things and pulling our lives back together. Let's take a look at them. I'm going to go through them pretty fast. So be ready. Get those crosswalk notes out and get them ready to go. Here's worldview number one that I think is huge to preventing positive change in our lives. And that is, I don't have to change the way I think. I can change myself on the exterior, I can change some of my actions, but please don't ask me to change the way I think. Interestingly, the words before us this morning in 2 Corinthians 5 are written by a man who totally changed the way he thought. In fact, he changed the way he thought so much that he ended up changing his name. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, a man who had once been called Saul, a man who had one time thought Christ is not the person any person on earth should be following. We must get rid of him and all of his Christ followers. Paul was so dedicated to that thought that he literally chased people down to the ends of the earth trying to find a way to eliminate followers of Christ. He thought that the whole idea of Jesus being the long-promised Messiah was an aberrant philosophy, something that needed to be driven from the face of this earth. That's what he thought. But then one day, as he's going, you know the story, to a, to a city named Damascus to track down more Christians, showing how passionate he was about this line of thought that he was willing to travel long distances to chase these Christians down. One day while he's on that trip, all of a sudden, this bright shining light shines in front of him and he hears this voice. And it's the voice of Christ. Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as the story goes, Saul was blinded. He stayed blind for three days. I'll tell you what, that'll change your thinking awfully quick. A bright shining light, a voice that sounds like thunder. The voice of Christ that says, why are you persecuting me? And that's exactly what happened to Saul. His thinking changed. Now I want, to, I want you to take a look at the very first verse. 
that, that we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul recognized that his thinking changed. He may, have once, he may at one point have thought, I don't have to change the way I think. I'm right on line. But now look at what he says. Verse 16 of chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, true change has to start at the level of the mind, at the level of our thought. Paul recognizes that a little bit earlier in this chapter. And as you read, he says, you know what? Now that I know truly who Jesus Christ is, that he is that long-promised Messiah, not only do I have my mind changed about that, but I'm going around trying to change other people's minds about that. I put this in your crosswalk notes. Take a look at it. He says, he says, I know he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. I didn't put this in your notes. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men, he says. Persuade. We try to change people's minds. We try to change people's hearts. That's where true change starts in the mind and in the heart. What I did put in your crosswalk notes is this passage, Romans 12:2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed how? By the renewing of your mind. I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you feel about a change of mind? Are you willing to step back from whatever it is you believe about the things that you're doing, the things that you are doing that are creating troubles in your life, the the things that are causing your life to fall apart? And not look to put your wife in the black box with the sliding silver doors. Not look to put your children in the black box with the silver sliding doors. But to step in the black box yourself with the silver sliding doors. And say, it's my way of thinking that needs to change. Are you willing to examine your own thoughts? And see if they are truly in line with the thoughts that God expresses in this book, the Bible. That's our first question. And if you've had the worldview that says what this first point says, I can change without changing my mind. I want to challenge that on the basis of what we read here. Paul changed his mind about who Christ was. And he even says in that passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that's how we change by renewing our mind. Let's go to the second worldview that I think sometimes prevents the type of change that can allow us to pull our lives back together. And that is the simple one that I already referenced. Is change even possible? Here's a world, there's a worldview out there that says people just don't change. And in fact, more and more in our society, we're seeing people become lifelong offenders. This, this philosophy is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. That, that once you have embedded yourself in doing something wrong, you can't change. Stop trying to change someone who's hardwired to do something. That's what we're told. And 
you've all probably been part of relationships or, uh, or of situations where you've had close people to you come up to you and say, why are you still doing that? Why are you still in that relationship? Why are you still hanging out with that person? Are you still hoping they're going to change? People don't change, we're told. And yet, there's this outstanding example that we've already looked at. The example of the Apostle Paul, who changed totally. There's a beautiful poem I love. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the blackest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions, who believes? Faith answers, I. What do you think? We've seen how the Apostle Paul changed. In fact, the Apostle Paul says some pretty interesting things. Titus 3.3, he says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. At one time, he says. That's how we were. And in fact, he even says that about himself. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Can people change? Absolutely people can change by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. One of the things that can really make it hard for us to have a life where things do get pulled back together is when we let doubt rule. Look at what Paul says in the second verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And if this doesn't dispel your doubt, nothing will. Listen to what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, key point, being in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Isn't that amazing? And in fact, Paul would probably reword that poem a little bit. Doubt sees the obstacles. Jesus Christ shows the way. Doubt sees the blackest night. Jesus Christ is the light that dispels the darkness. Doubt dreads to take a step, but Jesus draws us near to himself and walks with us. Doubt questions who believes. Jesus answers, not only do I believe, but I do everything for you. When you are in me, you are a new creation. The old has gone away. Change is completely possible through Christ. We're going to dig down into that through Christ part in a lot more detail in just a second. But here's, here's what I want you to do. When you think about people don't change, I want you to think about Paul saying, I've given up on my old perceptions of Christ and of other people. Are you willing to give up on some of your old perceptions? You know what that's going to mean, don't you? It's going to mean that just as you have been forgiven in Christ by his bloodshed on the cross for you, you also will have to forgive others who have hurt you. 
And you also will have to step up and say, I'm ready to move forward and put whatever's happened between me and this other person in the past. I'm ready to give up on my old perceptions of the people in my life and go forward. I believe God has the power to change people. Okay, some people say, this Apostle Paul guy, God could change him. And I know he's supposed to have done some some pretty bad things. But that pastor guy standing up in front there, the one who says um, God can change anyone, he doesn't know about my stuff. And honestly, if he knew about my stuff, how big it is, how resistant I've been, he would know that not even God can change my life. Nobody can change me, not even not even God. That's the third worldview that we often hear. You know what? My stuff is just too big. The changes that would need to take place in me are too great. Not even God, the Holy Spirit, has the power to deal with a person like me. And I'll tell you when that most hits us. When we look back on our life and we see some of the things that we've done to hurt others, and we feel the guilt and the shame of that acutely, we begin to question our minds, can God really do something? Or when we struggle with a particular sin, and we've tried again and again and again to extricate ourselves from that walk in sin. And you run down through those commandments we mentioned earlier. It's different for everybody, isn't it? For one person, it might, it might be just struggling with putting God above all things. Another person, it might be honoring their father, their mother, others in authority. They go, wow, even my mom and my dad, after all they've done, I have to honor them? And they struggle with that, and they try, and then they find themselves dishonoring them. Maybe it's a struggle with that sixth commandment, the one about adultery and sexual sin. And, and we keep trying to pull ourselves away from the internet or the magazines or the clubs. And we say, wow, I really want to break free of that, but I, I can't. But you know what? This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. Remember the story about Jesus when he was uh, talking one time to a very wealthy young man? And uh, his disciples were all there. And that wealthy young man, he said, if you want to follow me, sell everything that you've got. Now, he was a hugely wealthy young man. And in this particular case, the young man couldn't get over letting go of his earthly stuff. And when Jesus said, if you sell everything you got, you're going to have treasures in heaven, the young man turned and walked away. And Jesus, at that point, turned to his disciples and he said something really important, really important for the purpose of of this message today. He said, it is so difficult for a wealthy man to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's, more, it's, it's easier, he said, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man whose heart is filled with greed to get into heaven. 
And the reaction of the disciples was predictable, wasn't it? The reaction that you and I would have. Well, no camel can get through the eye of a needle. What you're saying then, Jesus, is that it is impossible for a man who who struggles with that attitude and that sin to get into heaven. And here's Jesus' answer, the one that says, even if my sin is big, even if my sin is continually drawing me back in, Jesus says, whatever is impossible with man is possible with God because all things are possible with God. Are you struggling with something today? Maybe you're struggling with a sinner. Maybe you're struggling with a, a partner or a companion. Maybe it's a business partner. Maybe it's the person right in your own household. And you've forgiven them for something, but you're wondering, can God really change this person? Is that really possible? And I want you to drill down on that passage. It might be impossible for any man to change himself, but whatever is impossible with man is possible with God because all things with God are possible. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul says back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talks about being a new creation. Remember, we just read this. Therefore, if anyone, by the way, tee off on that word, anyone is in Christ. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how big your sin was or how many times you've repeated. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And then he goes on and he says this. All this is from God. See, he's really saying the same thing that Jesus said. With man, lots of things are impossible. But when we tap into what God has to offer, he has so many gifts to give us. All this is from God, this being a new creation. It's all from him. And how did it happen? Here's some key thoughts. Who, God, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Huge. Because I want to tell you something. Pulling our lives back together, we try so many different strategies to do that. We try so many ways to change and to learn. But Paul is telling us that the key to all true deep change is in our relationship to God through Christ. He's really saying that if we're not reconciled to God through Christ, no permanent, lasting, real, deep change is going to occur in our lives. Because real and permanent and lasting and deep change starts with a change in status. And in fact, that's the most important change any of us could ever make or have made for us. And that is the change that takes place when Jesus' blood is shed on the cross, when he rises from the grave, and God says, I am no longer going to look at them as my enemies. I'm no longer going to look at them as 
rejected from me because of their sins. I'm no longer going to count their sins against them as if it were a ledger that he was tracking every sin. And he said, you know what? Exit all out. Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, that's what I'm going to look at. That's what I'm going to account for. That change of status. In other words, we're no longer enemies with God. We're friends with God. We're reconciled. Is the big change, the ultimate change, the baseline change that drives every other change in your life. I I just want to be really explicit about this point. If we don't understand what Christ has done for us on the cross, what God did in raising Christ from the dead, if we don't understand this idea of reconciliation, our change is going to to always be like we have this, this big bungee cord attached to our back. And we're going to run, and we're going to strive, and we're going to try hard, right? And it's going to feel like we're making changes. But that big old bungee cord of sin is still going to be attached to our back, the guilt and the shame. And you know what? At some point, as far as we run, we will never break free until we understand that we are friends with Christ. We are friends with God because of what Christ did for us on the cross. That is is the key. And that's why Paul puts it right in the middle of this set of verses. He says, it's all a gift from God. And understand this, he reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Huge. All right, I want to go to the fourth one the fourth worldview that sometimes holds us back. What I've just been describing to you theologically is called justification. Justification is represented beautifully for us in this very last verse, verse 21. Take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A great exchange takes place in which all of our sins are dumped on Christ on the cross, all of his rightness or righteousness, as the Bible calls us, is dumped on us. We make this tremendous trade called the great exchange. And that is justification. You know what always inevitably follows justification? The fact that God in Christ has made us right, has declared us right Theologically, it's called sanctification. And this is organic. It naturally follows. It it comes once we understand we're reconciled to God. We begin to produce fruit for God. We begin to obey him and try to please him. Our, Our thought processes are changed. The things that we once hated, like the Apostle Paul once hated Jesus Christ and Christ followers, now we love them. And the things that we once loved, we find ourselves saying, ah, who cares about those things anymore? Especially the sinful things that we once loved. 
we don't care about them anymore. We begin to hate those things that we once loved if they're involved with sin. That's the natural thing, that process of sanctification. And that, too, is worked by God. But there is one difference between justification and sanctification. When we talk justification, we talk about no cooperation whatsoever of you or me. When we talk about how God has forgiven all of our sins in Christ, we look only to Jesus, only to his cross, only to his resurrection, and we say, he did it all. But now when we come to the new life in Christ, when we, when we come to sanctification, that, that process of daily becoming stronger in our faith and stronger in our work. Even there, we look to God first and foremost, but guess what? We also say in sanctification, we have to step up and we have to work with God. And if you look throughout the entire Bible, you're going to find time and time and time again where the apostles and the prophets say to God's people, now that you know that your sins are forgiven, step up. Get to work, serve, minister. Look at what the Apostle Paul himself says here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? A ministry, a service of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, Paul says, the message of reconciliation. We have a job. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We have work to do, Paul says. We implore you. It's our job to implore other people to know that Christ forgives sins. That Christ has won reconciliation with God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Take a look at your crosswalk notes. Worldview number four says, change happens to me. So all I have to do is sit back and rest and wait for it to happen. All these things that I'm telling you is that that worldview when it comes to sanctification is not true. Sit back and rest, yes, when it comes to the forgiveness Christ has won for you, but not when it comes to the process of sanctification, walking closer and closer and closer to the will of God. Sit back and rest in Christ's forgiveness and love for you, absolutely. That's why it's called grace. But when it comes to getting the message out, this message that the whole world has been reconciled to God in Christ, never sit back and rest. Because the Apostle Paul says, you've been given a ministry, a service. Jonathan told you earlier that I was going to be talking during the message today about a meeting that's taking place after the worship service today, a meeting of our compassion team, uh, huge to this church, has been demonstrating this love of Christ in action. You saw that mission statement. 
Our desire is to teach God's words and promises also on an individual level, also to people who don't come to church on Sunday, but that we can walk out into the community and help with acts of love. And then those acts of love give us a little bridge to say, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about your restored relationship that Christ has won by shedding his blood on the cross? And that is just one among many ministries that allow us to continue to commit to teaching God's words and promises so that the Holy Spirit, not you, not me, not the person themselves, but the Holy Spirit will change them. We use the word transform them into fully developed followers of Christ. You see, we want everyone to be armed with Jesus Christ, just like it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Do you see there? Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, don't just sit back and rest. Don't wait for change to take place in your life. Yes, God is going to work the change. It's all him. But at the same time, Peter says, arm yourself. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. All right, here's the last, I think, thought pattern that sometimes prevents us from those changes that can help us pull our life back together. And it's this one, worldview number five. I don't need God to help me change. I can change myself. This one may be the most prevalent one of all. And it's very similar in a way to, to number three. No one can change me, not even God. That one magnifies our problems. It, it basically says my problems are bigger than God. Number five magnifies me beyond what I ought to be magnifying myself. It, it really says I'm the one, the only one who can solve my problems. And of course, Given what we just talked about, there's just a, a little tad of truth in it. We just heard you can't just sit back and rest. There is involvement in the process of sanctification. But let us never think, because we have this tiny little bit of involvement in the process of sanctification, that we don't need God. We need him horribly. We need him powerfully in our lives, in order to affect change. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now let me teach you a very practical way for you to tap into God's power on a daily basis so that you can have change taking place in your life. And it is really the ABCs of change, but I'm going to call it the CBAs of change because it's backwards. Number one is confess. Take a little time each day to stop looking at all the other people in your life and all the bad stuff they're doing to you. To stop looking at the, the circumstances of life that say, Wow, how am I ever supposed to beat these circumstances? I just can't change. Life keeps coming at me and beating me down. Take a few moments from all of that 
And just peek within your own heart for a little while. And, and, and when you start to hear the yabats yeah come up, you know what the yabats yeah are, don't you? Yeah, but God, I wouldn't be doing this if so-and-so hadn't done that to me first. Yeah, but God, I wouldn't be doing this except for this is what's going on in my life. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. When you start to hear those come up, push them all out of the way. Don't allow yourself to yeah, but. For just a moment, be honest with yourself and with God and ask yourself the simple question, when I examine my life in the light of God's word, where am I off track? Where am I sinning? Where am I wrong? What do I need to have corrected by God in my life? Confess. Do what we just sang. Go to the foot of the cross and take your sins there and have a moment of pure authenticity, raw honesty with yourself and with God. And leave your sin and your guilt and your shame in the hands of Jesus Christ. Confess. Be Belief. Believe. Believe that what the Apostle Paul says in this very last verse is true. Not just for the world, but because it's true for the world, know that it's true for you too. Believe this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you. So that in him, you might become the righteousness of God. Believe that. Lean on it. Find hope in it. You know, sometimes when we hear all this stuff about honesty and confession, we feel the hope getting drained out of us. Like, ugh, I can't stand to look at myself that much. It's horrible what I see. But actually, this is the true pathway to hope. It's the true pathway to hope because it doesn't ignore reality. It goes through reality to what Christ has done for you and me on the cross in forgiving even the worst of our sins, even the most often repeated of our sins. And he just says, I've become sin for you so that you might become righteousness in me. Believe it. See, be and finally, A, act. Act on your faith. If you truly know that you've been forgiven, that your sins are washed away by the blood of Christ, act on that. Live your life in hope. Live your life knowing that you're clean now, that you're righteous in God's sight. Do as we just heard is going to come naturally to you now. Once you've been justified, the sanctification process is going to start. Live the life that God has called you to live. Live that new life. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, the old is gone, the new has come. He is a new creation. Be that new creation in your life. Confess. Believe. 
and act on your faith. What do you think? What do you really think? Wherever your life is right now, can it be pulled back together? Is, is it even possible to take a broken and shattered life and have any hope that there's some sort of super glue that can bring your life back together, my life back together? I hope if you've heard anything today, it's this. Jesus Christ and the power of his forgiveness and grace, one on the cross, that reconciliation with God is that super glue that can bring all things back together. If it brought your relationship with God back together, whatever's going on in your life can be put back together again by Christ's power. Walk out of here with hope and walk out of here if you have any of those five worldviews that we talked about preventing you from change. Walk out of here with a hope and with a, with a commitment to get rid of those change-preventing worldviews. Are you willing learners? That's really what it breaks down to. Christ has done it all for you, but now he comes to you and to me and he says, are you ready to learn? It's going to mean some change. You might change what you think about some doctrines in the Bible. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to be transformed so that your life can come back together? You might change being confronted with God's word and the Holy Spirit in that word, some of your behaviors. Are you ready to learn how to behave in new ways? That's the challenge that Jesus Christ puts before everyone when we become reconciled to God. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Stop resisting the possibility of change. Trust that with an all-powerful Savior like Jesus Christ, all things are possible in your life. Secondly, learn how change happens. Christ first had to change your relationship with the Father. Now he will change your life. And I want you to meditate on and memorize 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and 21 because that is the key change, the change that Jesus' blood brought about in your relationship with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, am I ready to change, Father? Am I a willing learner? Father in heaven, I, I recognize that sometimes I resist the change and, and at times I'm not a willing learner. I need the power of your spirit working in me. I need him working in me powerfully to give me hope, to help me recognize that with God all things are possible, to know that the blood that you shed for me on the cross is the true power to change everything, that in reality, Lord God, since you changed my status with God, now everything can change and my life can come back together again. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that they will know the power of the blood of Christ that reconciled them to the Father and that they will know that every situation in life has hope embedded in it.
because of the power of Christ's blood. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.